All right, this morning I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4. And we're going to be reading as our text verses. And again, uh, our text verses are going to serve more as a launching point here. This would be more of a topical message as opposed to um, an extemporaneous type of message. And... uh, Uh, teaching on all the different verses. So in Acts chapter number 4, we're going to read verses 26 through 28. In Acts chapter number 4, verses 26 and 28. And again, the context here is where Peter and John had been hauled in uh, before. uh, Interesting to note, and, and you'll remember these names, Annas and Caiaphas and the chief priests and the rulers, they had been hauled in and basically said to to cease and desist from preaching and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter and John are released, they go back, and here's a little bit about what is reported. And notice here in Acts chapter number 4, verses 26 and 28. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now the relevance of these verses, of course, deals with who all was implicated in the murder of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Herod, it extended to Pontius Pilate, It was the Roman government, and yes, it was the Jews, all implicit. Now, you remember, of course, that we're not talking about, we're dealing with the murder of Jesus. We're not talking about our place in the murder of Jesus, spiritually speaking. We're talking about about how this uh, murder of Jesus was perpetrated. And, of course, we're still dealing with the topic this morning, the murder of Jesus. And we are specifically dealing with his illegitimate trial. And we're going to see this morning in studying the Scriptures that, yes, it's true. It was Herod. It was Pilate. It was the Roman government, the Gentiles. It was the Jewish religious leaders and the Jewish people that all had a part in Jesus' murder and specifically his illegitimate trial. Now, a couple weeks ago, we continued looking at the topic of Jesus' illegitimate trial, and uh, we looked at Jesus as He was before the Jews, as He was before the great Sanhedrin, the 71 members uh, uh, that that composed the great Sanhedrin, and how that they trumped up these charges uh, to somehow get Jesus uh, to be accountable, held accountable, and to be put to death. For these trumped up charges. Now we're moving to this second phase of Jesus' trial, and this is his trial before Pilate. His trial before Pilate. So we're dealing this morning with the murder of Jesus, his illegitimate trial, his trial before Pilate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we could be in your house today. We ask that you'd bless, lead, guide, and protect as we study your word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We thank you for the salvation that we so richly and freely enjoy based upon Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 
And yet we also know that the Lord Jesus subjected himself to inhumane treatment, uh, even at the hands of the creatures whom he created. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to realize this morning all that Jesus underwent and endured and suffered on our behalf. And Lord, may it lead us to render praise, honor, and glory unto your holy name and unto the holy name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The murder of Jesus is illegitimate trial. Jesus' trial, as we mentioned, was the trial of the ages. It was an illegitimate trial, a trial that would ultimately end in Jesus' murder. Now we're in the midst of studying the murder of Jesus, and as we started this series of messages, we pointed out that our, our uh, brief study would cover at least three different parts of the murder of Jesus. First of all, we looked at his illegal arrest. They didn't even have any charges to, to, to bring against Jesus when they went in by night and arrested him secretly. Then we began looking at and considering his illegitimate trial. And as we mentioned uh, multiple times already, we're currently looking at the illegitimate trial of Jesus. Now, when we're done with this particular part of our study, we're going to move into the last part of Jesus's murder, and that is the inhumane sentence that was carried out, and I think you understand we mean to say is crucifixion. Now, this morning, our thoughts remain on Jesus's illegitimate trial. It was illegal and had no credibility whatsoever. And we've previously pointed out, this morning included, that there are really two phases to Jesus' trial. Some people refer to them as different trials, if you will. I'm referring to them uh, as phases of Jesus' trial. We looked at Jesus before the Jews and how that uh, he was brought before the Sanhedrin and these trumped up charges were brought for the sole purpose of putting him to death. And then from there, the Jews brought him to Pilate. This is the second phase of the trial. And others would point out that perhaps maybe even before Pilate he had multiple trials. And it really doesn't matter how you classify it, what terminology you use. You just need to understand that Jesus, when he was uh, when the Sanhedrin had finished with him, they sought him to they sent him to Pilate because Pilate had the authority to carry out the death sentence. Now, Jesus here, as he is before Pontius Pilate, he has been publicly and privately railroaded by the great Sanhedrin. They have judged Jesus guilty of death, but they had no witnesses, according to the biblical and Jewish law, to testify that he was guilty of death. They don't have the authority to administer the death penalty, which is what they're really after. Therefore, they have to get Jesus to the Roman governmental leaders. They're the ones, the Roman governmental leaders were the ones that had the authority to put Jesus to death. Now, who is this? It's none other than Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. And I say this morning that as we begin to look at this phase of Jesus' trial, I reiterate again that we cannot really appreciate Jesus' sacrifice for us, His death for us, and what He endured for us unless we understand all that He went through 
And this involves considering in detail his illegitimate trial. And so this morning as we look at this phase of Jesus' illegitimate trial as he is before Pilate, I want us to take note of three contributing factors. Three contributing factors that make this phase of Jesus' trial an illegitimate trial. First of all, and this has been a common theme through all that we've studied so far, and I'll expound upon this, the first contributing factor is the Jews' chicanery. The Jews' chicanery. Secondly, Herod's curiosity. And then the third contributing factor is Pilate's culpability. We're going to look at all three of these contributing factors in our message this morning. Three contributing factors that make this phase of Jesus' trial an illegitimate trial. The first contributing factor is the Jews' chicanery. Now, I thought about terming this differently, but this word accurately describes what I want to get across and what I think actually happened. The word chicanery literally means this trickery or deception by presenting a false argument. We know that politically that happens all the time today, doesn't it? We looked at that a little bit on Wednesday night. And so there is no doubt that the Jews engaged in chicanery to try to convince Pilate to finish their conspiracy. There is no doubt that the Jews used trickery and deception in presenting a false argument to Pilate in an attempt to get Jesus put to death. And I said to finish their conspiracy, and I'm not going to re-preach what we've previously studied, but suffice it to say that you can go back way beginning in Jesus' earthly ministry, how that the religious leaders had determined, you know what, we're not going to let this guy stand, we're going to put this guy to death because he is a challenge and a threat to our authority and even to our money-making schemes in the temple. And so there was a conspiracy to put Jesus to death, and they are furthering their conspiracy. Now this contributing factor that makes Jesus' trial illegitimate before Pilate, the Jews' chicanery, we need to think about a little bit and engage our minds about how this chicanery was carried out, first of all, before Pilate. The chicanery before Pilate. Notice in your Bibles, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you this caveat this morning, and, and if you're taking notes, you probably want to jot down all of these scriptures. Okay, So I'm going to give you all of these scriptures, and we're going to look at some point in the message, probably all of these scriptures, not, not the full multitude of them, but some of them as I relate out of each book of the Gospels. And so, what we will be looking at this morning is covered in Matthew chapter number 27, verses 1 and 2, and verses 11 through 27. It is also recorded by Mark in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. Luke records these events in Luke chapter 23, verses 1 through 25. And John, who gives perhaps the most detailed and uh, voluminous account, we, we see he records this in John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40, which, by the way, is the end of John chapter number 18, and then John chapter number 19, verses 1 through 16. 
And so we're talking this morning about the Jews' chicanery and their chicanery before Pilate. Now, I want us to note what Matthew records about what took place after the Jews had had uh, convened the Sanhedrin in private, and then the public Sanhedrin. What did they do? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter twenty-seven, verses one and two. In Matthew twenty-seven, verses one and two, the Bible reads: "When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death." And then watch verse two. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now, we're going to talk more about Pontius Pilate later on in the message. And so, I don't want to get into what the, the, the term governor means here. We're going to talk about that in detail a little bit later on. But suffice it to say that they delivered Jesus to Pontius Pilate for the sole purpose of having Jesus put to death And Pontius Pilate is the person that had the authority to put Jesus to death. And so they deliver him to Pontius Pilate. This is is the beginning of their chicanery before Pilate. The beginning of their trickery and deception by presenting a false argument to convince Pilate to put Jesus to death. Now, as we think about their chicanery before Pilate, we have to think first of all about how this chicanery relates to their choice of punishment. Their choice of punishment. Now, give me just a moment here. I'm going to turn this fan on because otherwise I will soon be melting. Now, I say their choice of punishment. It's important for us to note a few things about the Jewish background and about the Jewish law. The official methods of capital punishment with the Jews consisted of these four ways, right? First of all, stoning. Secondly, burning. Third of all, decapitation by sword. And then lastly, and later on, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, had added a fourth, and it's interesting because literature describes this method of uh, uh, capital punishment as a milder alternative, although having just studied this in depth and had an expert testify at a trial that we had a few weeks ago and dealing with these types of charges nearly every day, uh, I would disagree that it's a milder alternative. But they came up with the method of capital punishment of strangulation. Strangulation. And so these were the ways that somebody could be put to death by the Jews. Did you notice that absent from those methods was crucifixion? Crucifixion was not something that the Jews practiced. The Jews did not practice crucifixion. This was purely practiced by the Romans. And the Romans used this to put the most inhumane and vilest criminals to death. Now the Jews, I submit to you, were desirous not only to have Jesus put to death, but they desired that He would be crucified. In fact, we know that because later on they holler out multiple times as Pilate tries to appeal to them, crucify Him, crucify Him. The Jews knew that by sending Jesus to Pilate, the form of punishment that He would face if He were convicted 
by Pilate of what was worthy of death would be what? Crucifixion. They knew it would be crucifixion. And so now they have to justify, they have to justify the punishment. And in an attempt to justify the punishment, it's, 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 it's almost comical if it weren't so sad and, and despicable. We know the different ways that they tried to get Pilate to see that Jesus was worthy of death. Now, first of all, in their attempt to justify the, the death penalty here, crucifixion, they just generally accuse Jesus of being a criminal. They generally accuse him of being a criminal. Now, let me just break away from this for a moment and point out to you that in our legal system, there are laws that prevent the prosecution from trying to convict a defendant simply because, well, you know, he's been a criminal in the past and his his life has a pattern of criminality and so therefore you can assume that because he committed this charge years ago, he probably committed this. Well, we can't do that. We have to prove the charges for which the defendant is accused of. We, I've got a case right now um, we're, I'm working on that uh, the guy was convicted of uh, first-degree murder. I've got a couple cases where a guy was convicted of first-degree murder years ago, and in Illinois he gets out. Now he's committing these other offenses and facing serious prison time. And I can't let, if it goes to trial, I can't let the jury know that he was convicted of first-degree murder. That will not be part of what the jury hears. Because whether we agree with it or not, the jury, we don't want the jury making a determination on the defendant's guilt on this charge because they previously committed an offense. Well, what, is, what are the Jews doing here? They are saying that Pilate ought to crucify Jesus because he's a criminal. They don't even tell him any charges that he is uh, uh, guilty of. In fact, in John chapter number 18, verses 29 and 30, listen to what the Bible says in John 18, verses 29 and 30. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? Now watch verse 30. They answered and said unto him, If if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Do you hear what they're saying? In essence, what they're saying to Pilate is this. Pilate, just take our word for it. This is a bad guy. If he weren't a bad guy, we would not have delivered him to you to be put to death. By the way, the word malefactor there, and you can go back to Isaiah's prophecy 700 years prior that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors. The word malefactor there, look it up in your... your, uh, concordance in your lexicon this word all other times that it's used the greek word all other times that it's used in the uh, uh in the holy scriptures this greek word is translated evil doer so they are literally saying that you know Pilate, you ought to put this guy to death because he's an evil doer they don't even offer up any charges against him uh so that Pilate would find reason to put jesus to death now suffice it to say that this did not work. Pilate did not buy this. Pilate did not say, oh, okay, well, you're telling me that he's an evildoer, therefore I'm going to go ahead and sentence him to be crucified. Pilate, at least at this point, to his credit, refused to do so. So now we move on. We now move on to not only their choice of punishment in, 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 in wanting to see Jesus put to death by crucifixion, but now their choice of a crime. Their choice of a crime. Now, does this not seem incredible? 
that we are talking about them trying to find a crime that would justify Pilate putting Jesus to death. It was uh, well known that the Romans alone at this point had the authority and, uh, and, and actually the power, and they, they did so. They carried out all executions. The Romans did that. The Romans would rarely approve of the death penalty for blasphemy. That was a religious charge from the Jews. That was almost never done, that they would approve somebody to be put to death because of blasphemy. Now, wait a minute. What did the Jewish great Sanhedrin convict Jesus of? Blasphemy. Go back to our lesson, in the, uh, the last lesson in this series of messages, dealing with Jesus' illegitimate trial as he's before the Jews. They, they convict Jesus on his own word, and they commit, convict him of blasphemy, and they rightfully say that blasphemy was worthy of the death penalty according to the, to the Old Testament law. And so they, they say, okay, he's worthy of death because he has committed blasphemy. But now they have a problem. Because Pilate is not going to put Jesus to death for the crime of blasphemy. So they had to come up with some crime that would justify the death penalty and particularly crucifixion. Now, what we say in our legal system, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to forego saying anything about our county in case anybody listens to this on sermon audio, but we, we try to fit the the punishment to the crime okay we fit the punishment to the crime so in other words if you're if you're caught speeding and you get a ticket for going eight miles over the speed limit you are probably not going to be arrested and put in the st Clair county jail or if you're in madison county the madison county jail going to jail for speeding is not something that fits that punishment doesn't fit the crime right uh, we could talk about how that a lot of our punishments don't fit the crime as they relate to more serious offenses and offenders are not held accountable, but that's for another day. So the punishment should fit the crime, right? Would we agree on that? But what the Jews are doing is they are trying to find a crime to fit the punishment. They've already determined that they wanted Jesus to be put to death. We've looked at multiple scriptures and past messages we're not going to take our time to relook at those today, but, but they want Jesus to be put to death, and they specifically want Him to be crucified. Now they've got to find a crime for which Pilate will judge Jesus worthy of crucifixion. So what do they do? Well, turn to the book of Luke. Look at Luke chapter number 23, and I warned you that we we're going to be looking at a number of passages in each of the gospel accounts this morning, but I want you to notice Luke chapter 23, look at verses 1 and 2. In Luke chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. Now watch verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. These bunch of rascal dogs, these bunch of liars who are using chicanery before Pilate, they are using trickery and deceit by a false argument to try and get Jesus put to death. 
They say, first of all, that he's guilty of sedition. He wants to overthrow the government. Secondly, they say that he's guilty of preventing the payment of taxes or tribute to Caesar. And then thirdly, they say that he has assumed the title of king. He is a threat to the Roman government. That is what they are saying. In fact, they said more than that. We don't know what else they said. But we know, and you don't have to turn here, but listen to this. In Mark chapter 15 and verse number 3, Mark records it this way. It says, And the chief priests accused him of many things. Of many things. But he answered nothing. Now Rome was not inclined. And Pilate was not inclined to be merciful to an anti-government reprobate. Pilate was not inclined to give mercy to somebody who wanted to overthrow the Roman government and make himself king and and was an anti-tax guy. He was not, he was not, it was not probable that he would do that. But what's the problem here? The problem is this. This is a complete fabrication. This is a complete lie. In fact, turn with me now, if you're in Luke chapter 23, turn over to Luke chapter number 20. Turn back to Luke chapter number 20, and I want you to notice here verses 20 through 25. In Luke chapter 20, notice verses 20 through 25. And they watched him and sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, that so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor. Who's the governor? Pontius Pilate. They were already back then trying to catch Jesus and trip him up. They send spies to try to trip him up and watch how they do it. Verse 21. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And they could not take hold of his words before the people. And they marveled at his answer and held their peace. This shows that they were fabricating the charges against Christ, that before the people they tried to accuse Jesus and trip Jesus up, so that they could have evidence to prove that he was a seditious, unruly, anti-government guy, and they couldn't do it. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ specifically refute what they were trying to do. By the way, I could chase a rabbit here and say, you know what, you ought to pay your taxes. I don't like paying taxes. In fact, Darlene and I, since since April, uh, going into uh, August, we will have paid over $8,000 in federal taxes and property taxes. I don't like that. But you know what? I'm going to pay it. Because I believe that we ought to render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. And unto God the things which are God's. These were trumped up false charges. Now, they submit this to Pilate. Pilate, this guy's a seditious guy. He's trying to make himself king. And he's telling the people, you don't have to pay your taxes to the Roman government. You don't have to do any of that because we're our own people. Follow me. That's what they say about Jesus. And guess what? Pilate again did not buy it. 
He examines Jesus and does not buy it. Now, by the way, lest you think that that makes Pilate a great guy, that contributes more to Pilate's culpability in the murder of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. So those charges didn't work. So what do they do next? We're talking about their choice of a crime. They've got to find a crime for which Pilate can kill Jesus and murder Jesus. So what do they do next? Go back to Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter number 23, notice now verses 4 and 5. In Luke chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Actually, let's read verses 3 through 5. We've already read verses 1 and 2. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And then watch verse 5. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. Now what are they doing? They're saying that he not only wants to overthrow the government, but he is inciting the general populace. He is, uh, if we were going to charge this in our country, and a lot of people talk about the First Amendment, and you don't have the right to say this, and you don't have the right to say that, you have the right to say pretty much anything you want with about five specific exceptions. And one of those has to do with fighting words. You cannot incite the public by using fighting words and incite a riot. You can't go out to a sporting event, run down and grab the microphone of 80,000 people and say, you know what, this state, is, this state is the worst state in the nation, let's tear this place down. And then everybody runs in and tears the stadium down. You're guilty of inciting a riot. You can't do that. You don't have freedom of speech to do that. And so they are saying of Jesus, He is is stirring up the people. He stirreth up the people, trying to incite them to rebel against the government. Now, boy, if this isn't choice. Look at the words there in verse 5. He stirreth up. He stirreth up. You know that there is only one other time in the New Testament that this Greek word is used for stirreth up. Wait for it. (laughs) You're going to love this. And we're going to get there in a few moments. But hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. So they say, well, well, he's seditious and he, he wants to prevent paying taxes and he says he's king and then he wants to incite the people to riots. And, and guess what? Pilate didn't buy that either. Pilate had observed the Lord Jesus Christ that he was a meek. And by the way, meek doesn't mean weak. Meek means power under control. In fact, in John's account, Jesus says to Pilate, you have no power against me if if I wanted it to be that way. And he didn't do it disrespectfully. He calmly states the fact of the matter. And so Jesus is power under control. He is a meek individual. Pilate observes him and speaks to him and understands that these are trumped up charges. This guy's not trying to make himself a king here on this earth. In fact, he told Pilate his kingdom is not of this world. And so again, Pilate doesn't buy it. So the Jews persist in their chicanery. In John chapter number 19 and verse number 7, let's turn over to John chapter number 19. In John chapter number 19, notice... Notice John chapter number 19. And specifically, we want to look here at verses uh, 6 and 7. In in John 19, verses 6 and 7. 
When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, uh, for I find no fault in him. Now watch verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die. Now watch. Because he made himself the Son of God. Do you see what's going on here? If this were an actual trial today, the prosecutors would be stopped and probably taken into custody for contempt of court, wasting the court's time, perverting the criminal rules of procedure. Do you see what they're doing? Did you catch what they're doing? Now they're going back to the original charge of blasphemy. Nothing else has worked. Pilate did not buy all of these false charges. He's going to release Jesus. And, 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 and so now we, we have this, this collusive effort, this chicanery by the Jews that now, now they go back to the initial charge. They're, they're trying everything that they can try. They are throwing everything against the wall and seeing what will stick. In legal vernacular, we would call this a fishing expedition. Can we get something that will work? Listen to what Albert Barnes comments on this verse. Barnes writes this. On this charge, they were now convinced that they could not get Pilate to condemn him. That's the charge of sedition and wanting to subvert and overthrow the government. He declared him innocent. Still bent on his ruin and resolved to gain their purpose, they now, contrary to their first intention, adduced the original accusation on which they had already pronounced him guilty. If they could not obtain his condemnation as a rebel, they now sought it as a blasphemer, and they appealed to Pilate to sanction what they believed was required in their law. This, to Pilate himself, it became more manifest, Excuse me. Thus, to Pilate himself, it became more manifest that he was innocent, that they had attempted to deceive him. They attempted to deceive Pilate. And that the charge on which they had arraigned him was a mere pretense to obtain his sanction to their wicked design. Pilate sees this. Any, anybody would see this. Anybody with half a brain would see. Man, they're, they're, making, they're making up whatever they can make up. They know that I'm not going to put a guy to death for blasphemy. That's the Jews' law. And yet, now this is what they're left with. In fact, they even go with Jesus as He is uh, before Herod. And we're going to look at that next. But they even go with Jesus as Jesus is led before Herod. And before Herod, they say this. And the chief priest, this is Luke chapter 23 and verse number 10. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused Him. They are doing everything they can to put Jesus to death to get Pilate to acquiesce to putting Jesus to death. We see their choice of the charge. And then notice here, as we first of all looked at the uh, Jews' chicanery, their chicanery before Pilate, now let's look at their chicanery before the people. So they did not only use trickery and deceit in presenting a false argument before Pilate, but they used it before the Jewish people. Now, I want you to remember what's happening here. This is early in the morning when they take Jesus to Pilate. It's about 5 o'clock in the morning. People are getting beginning to get up. There's a stirring among the people. Did you all hear what happened last night? This trial that took place, and now the Sanhedrin's convicted Jesus of blasphemy, and now the people are getting out on the streets. And, and, and what happens? What happens when something happens 
notorious. Hey, did you hear this? Yeah, yeah, this is what happens. And so, you know, you start out here with what really happened and then you get to the end of the line about 20 people and that is so distorted that you don't even know what the truth is. So you know what the Jews do? They capitalize on that. They use the chicanery before the people. What they do is they go to the Jewish people and they incite the Jewish people to agree with them to put Jesus to death. So they're not only using chicanery before Pilate, but they are using chicanery before the people. Now listen to this, and I'm gonna, and I told you it's gonna be a longer message this morning, so bear with me. I'm gonna start just reading some verses to you to kind of expedite our journey this morning. And so this this verse in Mark chapter 15, verse 11 tells a, a, a detailed story. In Mark 15, verse 11, the Bible reads, "But the chief priests moved the people." that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. They moved the people. Now, anybody care to guess? Harken back to what I said a few moments ago about the word, the Greek word for stirth up. Do you remember I made a point to stress that? You know what the Greek word is for moved? It's the same Greek word for stirreth up, and that's the only two times that that Greek word appears in the New Testament. Now watch this. The chief priests accused Jesus of stirring up the people to mount an insurrection against the Roman government. But do you know what they were doing? They were stirring up the people to mount an insurrection against Jesus and get them to acquiesce to putting an innocent guy to death. Yes, I'm going to say it. These Jewish leaders are narcissistic psychopaths they have no empathy for anybody. They're only, they only care about their own self-interest. They don't care about putting an innocent person to death. And you know what a narcissistic psychopath always does. They always accuse you of what they are guilty of. They accuse you of doing what they themselves are guilty of. And here is Bible evidence. They are moving and stirring up the people to put Jesus to death and have them release, have, have Pilate release unto them a seditious murderer. That's what the Jewish leaders are doing. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 20, the Bible words it this way. Matthew words it this way in Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Oh, they were persuasive. By the way, don't think that when the narcissistic psychopath is inciting others to help their cause, don't think that they have to be doing it in some uncontrollable emotional way. They can do it very craftily and subtly by persuading people. And listen to what John Gill has to say about how the chief priests and elders persuaded the people, how they used chicanery to get the people to agree with them to put Jesus to death and release Barabbas. Gill says this, By sending their servants or proper persons among them, telling them that Jesus had been examined before the Sanhedrin that morning and was found to be a blasphemer, and that the whole court had unanimously condemned him to death, and therefore it became them to act according to their decree. These guys, I know they're psychopaths and sociopaths and narcissists because you couldn't do this otherwise. 
You, you would have too much guilt and empathy for the Lord Jesus Christ to do this, but they are, they are now moving the people, telling the people, whispering in the people's ears, oh man, you should have heard the trial. There was overwhelming evidence that this guy's a blasphemer. And there wasn't overwhelming evidence. And so they move with chicanery before the people. There are three contributing factors that made this phase of Jesus' trial illegitimate. The Jews' chicanery. Secondly, Herod's curiosity. Herod's curiosity. Now, Pilate determines to send Jesus to Herod because it is an attempt to get Pilate out of a jam. Pilate is faced with doing something with Jesus that he knows is not right. Now, Herod, when I say Herod's curiosity is a contributing factor to Jesus' illegitimate trial, what I mean to say is this. Herod did not have any intention of seeking justice. Although he was really more powerful than Pilate. And he had no intention of seeking justice. He only wanted to be amused by the Lord Jesus Christ. He viewed Jesus as some kind of freaky sideshow as a novelty that could entertain him and his court. Now think about this. When we think about Herod's curiosity, and here I'm going to ask that you turn to the book of Luke chapter number 23 again. We were in Luke chapter number 23 a few moments ago. Perhaps you're still there, but I want you to notice Luke chapter number 23. And we're going to primarily be looking at verses 6 through 12 here. Now, I first of all want you to notice Herod's position. Herod's position. Let's look at Luke 23, verses 6 and 7. In Luke chapter 23, verses 6 and 7. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. He's talking about Jesus. And as soon as he knew that he, Jesus, belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And so Pilate is trying to get rid of Jesus. He views him as a problem, and he wants to send him to Pilate. Excuse me, to Herod. Now, who is Herod? Well, this is Herod Antipas. That may sound familiar to you. This is the same Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded. He is part of the Herodian dynasty, as that is recorded in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, the beheading of John the Baptist. Herod's main palace was located in a city that he himself had created by the name of Tiberias a spectacular city on the shore of Galilee, ten miles from Capernaum. Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee. Listen to this verse, and again, I'm just going to read this to you for time's sake. Listen to Luke chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee. The word tetrarch means the ruler of a fourth of a nation. And so literally, Herod is one of four major rulers over this land. He's more powerful than Pilate. He had the authority to make a determination on the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, he had no intention of doing that. Pilate sends Jesus to Herod, thinking that Pilate can wash his hands of Jesus and get rid of this quandary and of this problem. Do you realize Pilate's quandary? He doesn't see anything that Jesus has done that is worthy of death. And yet he's got the Jews clamoring for the death of Jesus. This is a political problem for Pilate. So what's he do? I'll just get rid of this. I'll send him to Herod. 
But Herod is no help. Because Herod only exercised a curiosity towards Jesus. He had no intent in exercising and seeking justice. So we see Herod's position in verses 6 and 7. He's the Tetrarch of Galilee. Notice his priority in Luke chapter 23, verses 8 and 9. In Luke chapter number 23, verses 8 and 9, And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. Do you see that Herod is only concerned about seeing some miracle done? Seeing some 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 amazing act that Jesus Christ could perform. He is in no way qualified to be a ruler. He is not a just man seeking justice. He's only concerned with being entertained. And Jesus' life is on the line. And Jesus is sent to Herod by Pilate. And Herod only has a vain, morbid curiosity, a novel desire to see a miracle. He had long heard of Jesus He had known about John the Baptist as he had put John the Baptist to death. And he had hoped to have seen some miracle done by Jesus. But Jesus is not playing his game. Then we see Herod's perversion of justice in verses 11 and 12. This is all part of this phase of the trial of Jesus. The Jews finish up with him in the great Sanhedrin. And they send him to Pilate. And Pilate questions him. And he hears the charges. And then he finds out... That, that he perhaps could be a Galilean. And so he sends him to Herod to get rid of the problem. What does Herod do? Herod perverts justice. Look at verses 11 and 12. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught, and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. So, you know, snakes find common ground, don't they? It's amazing to me the, the, the uh, instances that we've had in our past with folks that have uh, proven to be reprobates and how you know this, this person was not in agreement with this person, but now they unite together to attack us in this church. It's amazing how that works. And so now Pilate is friends with Herod over this situation. Notice what Herod does. Herod does not hear the matter and seek justice. He mocked the Lord Jesus Christ. And he arrayed him in a gorgeous robe. A white, glamorous, and I would say effeminate robe. Mocking him that he was some kind of king. And of course not believing that he really was, as he is today, king of kings and lord of lords. He mocked him and sent him back to Pilate. Herod knew of Jesus' innocence. You say, well how do you get from this? that Herod knew of Jesus' innocence. Well, watch. Look, look a little bit further down. Look at verses 13 through 15. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching these things whereof ye accuse him. Now watch verse 15. No, nor yet Herod. For I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. Herod knew Jesus' innocence. Herod is culpable. But because of his curiosity and wanting to see a miracle, he's not concerned about justice. He's not taking the death penalty serious. 
He only wants to see uh, some entertaining miracle done, and when he doesn't get his way, he's a lot like uh, the wicked king in the Old Testament that just wanted to, to see his part done, King Ahab. And when he didn't get his way, he pouts. And what do we find here? Herod mocks Jesus, knowing of his innocence. So it's Herod's curiosity that is a contributing factor. And then thirdly and finally, we move to our last contributing factor that made Jesus' trial before Pilate an illegitimate trial. We saw the Jews' chicanery made it an illegitimate trial. Herod's curiosity contributed to it being an illegitimate trial. And thirdly and finally, Pilate's culpability contributed to it being an illegitimate trial. When I say culpability, what I mean is this. Pilate's to blame. Pilate's to blame. Now, we read Acts chapter number 4 in our text verses where Herod is called out as being to blame. And Pilate is called out as being to blame. Do not, do not read the gospel accounts of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and read whatever historical accounts you want, whether it be Josephus or Philo or any other uh, historian, do not read history's records and think that Pilate is somewhat innocent of the death of Jesus. Pilate is culpable. He is to blame. He is guilty of the death of Jesus. He could have acted and saved Jesus, and yet he did not. He chose to comply with the will of of the corrupt and debauched Jews. Now, let's begin looking at this contributing factor of Pilate's culpability by considering, first of all, Pilate's importance. Pilate's importance. Because Pilate was a fairly important guy here in this particular instance. Pilate, history records, was the sixth Roman procurator or governor of Judea. He served for 10 years, from A.D. 26 to 36. His headquarters were at Caesarea, but he frequently found himself in Jerusalem. He didn't go to Jerusalem because he liked to go to Jerusalem, but business took him to Jerusalem. Remember, Pilate also ruled as the governor of Judea during John the Baptist's beheading, just like Herod. He and Herod were not friends. They often butted heads. History records that Pilate was a pleasure-loving dictator. He was a corrupt and cruel man. He hated the Jews. And he would find any time and any opportunity that he could take to take out his anger on the Jews. In fact, perhaps you remember this passage in the book of Luke. When the Lord Jesus Christ, and we looked at this passage not too long ago when we preached on the topic of repentance. Jesus himself mentioned the instance when Pilate had mingled the blood of the Galileans with the sacrifices at the temple. In Luke chapter 13 and verse number 1 it reads, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate was not an innocent law-abiding guy. He hated the Jews. Pilate had, and we're not going to go into historical context on this, but I can give you some references to read if you're interested in Pilate. Pilate had a troubled tenure as the governor. He had had multiple failures. He could not afford any more problems with the Roman government, in particular with Caesar. He had to make sure that what he did would uh, ensure that he stayed in power. 
Now, Roman governors had enormous power. They were the representatives of the Roman government. They enforced Roman interests wherever they ruled. They exercised military, political, social, judicial, and economic control in every area of their subjects' lives. They exploited those that were subordinate to them, oftentimes in very harsh ways, so that it would benefit... Now get this, see if this doesn't sound familiar. So that it would benefit the elite ruling class. You know, I'll bet you if Pilate was ruling during those days and we had gasoline, I'll bet you gasoline would be seven, eight dollars a gallon. You know, and the common guy couldn't afford it. Pilate was a cruel guy. He was interested in furthering his own cause and the cause of Rome. Pilate literally had the power of life and death. Pilate literally could have kept Jesus alive or he could have killed him. What did he do? History and scripture reveals what he did. Pilate had come to Jerusalem at this time, as we read in scripture. He had come to Jerusalem at this time because this was the time of Passover. And if you recall from a previous message, what would often happen during the celebration of Passover? There would be those that would want to overthrow the Roman government. So there would be multiple instances of attempts where you know they, the, the subversive efforts would have to be thwarted and put down. We might call them today sovereign citizens. You know, there'd be some sovereign citizens and say we're not subject to the to the to the government of the United States. We're not subject to the to the rule of the Romans. And so Pilate was there to make sure that all of these these tumults were squelched. So he's here. He's present. In fact, he's staying not far from where the Jewish Sanhedrin had gotten together and assembled. And so the Jews. The Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, they, they take Jesus from their, from their proceeding and they march him across the courtyard to Pilate. And what happens with Pilate? Well, Pilate was important, but Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He knew he was innocent. I'm going to prove to you by showing you five facts that Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. If you were on a jury and I presented these facts to you, you would acquit the defendant. There is no doubt that Jesus was innocent of the charges, and Pilate knew it. He knew, Pilate knew, first of all, the motive for which the Jews sought Jesus' death. They were not seeking justice. They were not seeking the betterment of the land or the people. In fact, how about this in Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 18, where it says, For he, Pilate, knew that for envy they had delivered him. So Pilate knew that this was a kangaroo court proceeding. That there was nothing at all that was legitimate about what was going on here. He knew Jesus was innocent because he knew the motivation for which the Jews sought Jesus' death. Secondly, Pilate examined Jesus himself and by Pilate's own words said he found no fault in him. That was mentioned multiple times and I could take you to multiple scriptures in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to show you that this morning. But I want you to listen to Matthew twenty or uh, John chapter 18, verse number 38 this morning. John chapter 18, verse 38. Pilate saith unto him, What is true? Boy, we could preach a whole message on that. And by the way, I don't think that Pilate there is trying to really find out what truth is. 
I think Pilate is saying, well, what's true? What's true? That doesn't matter. What is true? And notice, Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Folks, those are the words of the Roman governor that had life and death power. He himself said, I find no fault in him at all. He knew Jesus was innocent. He was warned by his wife to have nothing to do with putting this man to death. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 19, when he, Pilate, was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, that righteous, innocent man. Have nothing to do with this, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Man, I'll tell you what, I don't mean to be flippant this morning, but if there's anything we learn from that, guys, you ought to listen to your wives occasionally. You ought to hear what your wife has to say. You ought to to get counsel and advice from your wife. You ought to listen to her perspective. You know, in a lot of things, our wives are much more wiser than we are. Man, that hurt to say. No, it didn't. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. But Pilate's wife is having these visions and these dreams. She says, don't stop. Stop. This is wrong. And then, fourthly, Pilate himself had questioned Jesus and examined Jesus and he observed Jesus' response. Now I want you to think back a week ago to services at Faith Baptist Church. And you remember Brother Victor was preaching. And he preached on Paul as he's brought before the Roman authorities. Now this is not at all a slam on Paul. It is not. Because we would, we would and should do what Paul did. But do you remember when Paul was brought before Roman authorities? You know what Paul did? He defended himself. He said, I, I, you know, if I've done something worthy of death, then you can put me to death, but I haven't done anything worthy of death. Did Jesus ever do that? Did Jesus ever say, these are illegitimate proceedings, I did not do anything worthy of being put to death? Do you ever recall Jesus saying that? In fact, listen to this in Matthew chapter 27, verses 13 and 14. In Matthew 27, verses 13 and 14, Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? Verse 14, And he answered him, Never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. I mentioned a few moments ago that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Jesus could have had legions of angels deliver him at this moment if he had called upon it. He could have had Pilate smitten and, 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 and uh, his death at that very moment and Jesus didn't do a thing. He had power over his tongue. You know, a lot of us need power over our tongue. We need power to not say what we want to say because certain times it's not appropriate. Turn with me to First Peter chapter 2. Look at 1 Peter chapter number 2. Bear with me, we're almost there. 1 Peter chapter number 2, and I want you to notice what Peter writes about Jesus' testimony. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, look at verses 21 through 24, and as we read these verses, I want you to remember that this is what Pilate observed of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that she should follow his steps. Now watch. Who did no sin, neither was guile, no deceit was found in his mouth. 
who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Pilate even went to the point of challenging Jesus. And I would say, and I don't mean to say this irreverently with respect to who Jesus is or was, but Pilate got in his face and threw his weight around as Roman governor. Boy, don't you know I could put you to death right now? And Jesus, when he was reviled, did not respond in kind. He did not defend himself. He, as a lamb that was led to the slaughter, said nothing that would give Pilate or anyone else any indication that he had done anything wrong, and least of all that he was worthy of death. He didn't do it. Pilate is examining this. Listen, man, I've had cases where I have examined the evidence, and I've encountered defendants, and I can tell you stories recently. And I said, man, I don't think this guy did it. This guy does it. He's not the. He's not carrying himself like the normal defendant. And you say, normal defendant? Yeah, they act a certain way. They do. Pilate is observing Jesus. And it's clicking in his head, this guy's innocent. This guy didn't do anything. Paul said to Timothy, you know, you ought to act like Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 13, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Jesus did nothing before Pilate that would give rise to Pilate to say, I need to put this guy to death. And then fifthly, we're talking about Pilate knowing Jesus was innocent. Pilate was troubled as to the validity of Jesus' true identity. This is an amazing reality. But I want you to turn to John chapter number nine, 19. Notice John chapter number 19. And I want you to look here at John chapter number 19, uh, verses 7 and 8. Notice John 19, verses 7 and 8. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now we read that verse previously, in showing that the Jews were now reverting to the charge of blasphemy. But notice Pilate's response. It's an odd response for a lost guy. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. You know what I think was happening here? I think God was pricking Pilate that you don't know what you're doing. You don't know who you're messing with. Pilate certainly was not a Christian. Pilate, by all historical records, was an idolater. And Pilate would believe in what we might refer to today, the world might refer to as karma. Pilate began to be concerned about, is this guy a son of the gods? Is this guy somebody who 
man, I really should not be messing with. Pilate is troubled. Why would he be troubled if he had no doubt as to Jesus' guilt? Pilate was an important man in this story. But he knew Jesus was innocent. You know, Pilate attempted to release. This is thirdly, when we're talking about Pilate's, Pilate's culpability. Pilate, because of his knowledge of Jesus' innocence, he attempted to release Jesus. Now that in itself is a rather ironic statement because Pilate had all authority to do whatever he wanted. He had life and death power. But he attempted to release Jesus. First of all, now think about this and I'll quickly go through these. He attempted to return Jesus to the Jews. In John chapter 18 and verse number 31, the Bible reads, Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Pilate wanted to be done with Jesus and have the Jews take Jesus and judge him according to their law. But the Jews wanted to put Jesus to death and therefore they resisted the efforts of Pilate. Pilate tried to release Jesus back to the Jews. Pilate, secondly, we already looked at this in depth so we won't go into any more depth, but Pilate tried to recuse himself in favor of Herod. This guy's trying to get out of doing what he knows is going to be a wrong act. He tries to recuse himself. Then Pilate, in an attempt to pacify the people, he says, well, I will render punishment unto Jesus, and then we'll let him go, we'll punish him, but we won't put him to death. Now that in itself, again, is a rather incredible statement, having already established the fact that Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. And yet, because he wants to pacify the people, we read this in Luke chapter 23 and verse number 16. In Luke 23, verse 16, the Bible reads, and Pilate says this, I will therefore chastise him and release him. He's trying to get the Jews to agree to this. And the word chastise there in Luke 23, verse 16, literally means to scourge him. Then in Luke chapter 23 and verse number 22, uh, we read this. And he said unto them the third time, this is Pilate, he said unto them the third time, why, what evil hath he done? This is when they're, that when they're yelling for Pilate to release Barabbas unto, him, unto them. He says, why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. He says it again. Now, beloved, this is again an incredible statement because when we're talking about Pilate chastising Jesus, we're not talking about, and I told you this story multiple times, I remember as a high school junior and you know, I got in trouble and my, my uh, football coach took the paddle and lit me up in the hallway right outside of the cafeteria. Everybody can see in here. And I'm going to tell you what, it stung. It stung my pride and it stung my rear end. That's not what this was. This is scourging. Scourging. Let me read you just a quick description of scourging. Listen to this. Scourging alone was sometimes fatal. A Roman scourge was a short wooden handle with numerous long lashes of leather attached to it. Each leather strip had a sharp piece of glass, metal, bone, or other hard object attached to the end of it. The victim would be stripped of all clothing and tied to a post by his wrists with his hands high enough over his head to virtually lift him off the ground. The feet would be dangling and the skin on the back and buttocks completely taut. 
One or two scourge bearers, also called lictors, would then deliver blows, skillfully laying the lashes diagonally across the back and buttocks with extreme force. The skin would literally be torn away, and often muscles were deeply lacerated. It was not uncommon uncommon for the scourge wounds to penetrate deep into the kidneys or lacerate arteries causing wounds that in themselves proved fatal. Some victims died from extreme shock during the flogging. Pilate was offering this up as a compromise to the people. How scourging. In fact, when you think of Pilate being innocent of the death of Jesus and him doing everything that he could to release Jesus, I want you to think of the description that I just read of chastising or scourging or flogging. And then how about this? In John 19 and verse number 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. He did exactly what we read. No, sir. Pilate was not innocent. Pilate was culpable. He tried to render punishment unto Jesus. He tried to release Jesus by the choice of the people. He tried to put it back in the people's hands. See, Pilate said this, we have this custom that we release a prisoner to you. It was not any prisoner, it was the choice of prisoners that the governor would put forth. Do you know it was not common practice that the governor would only put two prisoners forth? And yet Pilate is thinking, okay, surely, if I give them a choice of Jesus or this reprobate by the name of Barabbas, there is no way they're going to pick Barabbas. He is so convinced of Jesus' innocence that he is trying to get the people to pick Jesus to be released. Therefore, the Jews can't blame him Because he did everything that he could and the people picked Jesus, not Barabbas. But even this doesn't work. As the bloodthirsty crowd continues to desire Barabbas to be released. In John chapter 18, verses 39 and 40, here's Pilate says, But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one of at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Verse 40, then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now if you want irony, listen to this. Barabbas was not only a robber, but Mark chapter 15 and verse number 7 records what Barabbas was in prison for. In Mark 15 and verse number 7, the Bible reads, There was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. Now wait a minute. Okay, I'm completely confused. They want Jesus to be put to death because he's a seditionist and they accuse him of insurrection. And there's not an ounce of proof of it. Barabbas is as guilty as could be and he's not only an insurrectionist but a murderer and a robber and they want him released. And I say to you that it's the darkness of the human heart and it was the urging of the Jewish religious leaders that resulted in this. So Pilate Pilate here is attempting to release Jesus. That doesn't work. And then we see lastly, and very briefly, Pilate chose to further his political career than release an innocent man. Isn't that sad? Now I want you to think about this. 
Pilate is not neutral in this. He's not a weak character. He is not forced to crucify Jesus by the Jewish leaders against his will. Pilate literally had the authority of life and death. But he chooses to crucify Jesus because it is in his own personal political furtherance. Pilate cannot afford to have the Jewish religious leaders going to Caesar and complaining about Pilate. He cannot afford to have the Jewish religious leaders wreaking all sorts of havoc during Passover and perhaps seditious acts taking place. And go figure that out in your mind. But he can't afford any of that. He wants to do everything he can. See if this doesn't sound familiar. He wants to do everything he can to maintain his grasp on power. And if it means abusing the innocent and putting an innocent man to death, well, you know what? That's just one innocent man. So Pilate, going down in the annals of history as being culpable and blameworthy for the death of Jesus, acquiesces to the Jewish people, he chooses to crucify Jesus. Pilate did that. Matthew 27, verse 24 says, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. See, he's afraid. Oh, they're they're throwing a tantrum. They're throwing a tantrum. There's a tumult that is made. I've got to pacify their tantrum. Otherwise, they'll run and tell Caesar on me. That's what's happening here. And Pilate somehow thinking that he can ceremoniously wash his hands and be pure from the blood of Jesus is a lie that the devil still tells lost people today. He's not pure from the blood of Jesus. He is culpable for the death of Jesus. In Mark 15, verse 15, this is the last verse we'll read. Mark 15, verse 15, And so Pilate, willing to content the people, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. That's a travesty of justice. I'm troubled by the perversion of justice in our nation. I'm troubled by what I think are unjust verdicts and unjust punishments for crimes that are committed against the citizens of St. Clair County. Now you multiply that nationwide and worldwide. And none of it trumps what was done to Jesus Christ. An innocent man railroaded because of the envy of the religious Jewish leaders and complicit in all of it is Herod and Pilate and the Roman government and the Jews. And you know who else? You and I. If we had been there during that time frame, apart from the grace of God, we would have, along with all the other Jewish people, been yelling, release unto us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. You know yourself that before grace invaded your life 
You were content having nothing to do with Jesus. You didn't care about Jesus. You didn't care about the murder of Jesus. Oh, but then, grace bestowed on your heart a concern for your own soul and a desire with all your heart to know Jesus. And what did he do? I dare say, he probably showed you his wounds. What he endured, what he suffered on our behalf. Well, at this point, I don't know that I'll be able to preach a sermon on the murder of Jesus, the actual crucifixion. But we sure have been touched, I trust, by what he endured in his illegal arrest, his illegitimate trial, now the stage is set. It's a done deal. Jesus is being led away to be crucified, to be murdered, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. We looked at three contributing factors that made this phase of Jesus' trial illegitimate. The Jews' chicanery, Herod's curiosity, and Pilate's culpability. Let's pray.